Hello friends, my name is Aliza Kelly. I'm a celebrity astrologer, three-time author, and host of this podcast, Stars Like Us. Think of Stars Like Us as your favorite nighttime talk show that just so happens to be released every Monday morning. Each week, we connect with another amazing expert guest, and together we talk about everything under the sun. But before we get into today's episode, take a moment to rate this podcast five stars. Why? Because you're the fucking best. All right, now let's do it. Sit back, relax, and get ready for another out-of-this-world conversation. This is Stars Like Us. Welcome back to Stars Like Us. I am your host, Aliza Kelly. And today I am here with a Gemini sun, a Scorpio moon, a Capricorn rising. We should be so honored that this Scorpio moon has generously offered her big three, because oftentimes we do not get the big three with a Scorpio moon. A Scorpio moon is like, "Mm -mm, that's too much information for me to be revealing publicly. But this, my friends, is Miriam. You may know her as Shoddy Astrology. She has an incredible Twitter. Miriam is an astrologer from Toronto who integrates pop culture and astrology. She also uses astrology to help people improve their lives for the better. I just want to add a couple more sentences here because I am a fangirling absolutely right now. Miriam has, Shoddy Astrology has one of the most incredible astrology Twitter accounts out there asking incredible questions, giving really magical, profound insight on degrees, on signs, on correspondences, on associations, just an an absolute well of knowledge that Miriam Shorty Astrology is sharing with us. So it is such a pleasure to have you on the show. I am so honored that you could come and spend your time with us today. Thank you for being here. Oh, well, thank you so much for that incredible introduction. I'm so honored to even be speaking with you and just be here. I'm such a fan of your work. I think you're so brilliant at what you do. And I think you integrate celebrity and pop culture astrology as well, like so well, and you're so engaging and so enamoring. So thank you so much for, for allowing me to be here with you today. And I'm so excited. Uh, I also found it really funny <laughs> that you mentioned about the Scorpio moon thing, which is so funny because not only do I have a Scorpio moon, I have my Mars in the eighth house and I also have a Scorpio midheaven. So there's a lot of like Scorpionic energy in my chart and having that integrated with my Gemini energy, it's kind of, it's kind of polarizing in some ways because there's a part of me that loves like share things with people. Then there's, there's like a part of me that's just like, should I do this? Should I not? So it's, it's interesting. I don't have like my big three in my bio. I should probably put that, but I think that's the Scorpio energy kind of coming in, kind of like keeping it subconsciously secret. So I don't know, but anyways, thank you for the introduction. (laughs) Well, right before we started recording, we just found out that we have our rising signs almost only two degrees away from each other. I have my Capricorn rising at 12 degrees. You have yours at 10 degrees. So I also have a Scorpio midheaven with Pluto conjunct by midheaven. And then I have five planets in the eighth house, including a sun south node exact conjunction, 25 degrees Leo, my Mercury, my Venus, my Mars, my Juno, 
all stacked in the eighth. So I absolutely 100% relate to that push and pull of like, what is to be shared versus what is to be kept private? Where And what is that boundary? Yeah, I'm so glad that you resonate with that. And also like Pluto in the Midheaven is incredible. That placement is just so intriguing and powerful. Like I'll give you an example. In my spare time, because I like to call myself total nerd. I like to study the astrology of like really popular songs. Um, so the other day I was studying the astrology of that song, Counting Stars by One Republic. Know that song? Like, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, you know that song, right? <laughs> Wait, keep right? going, keep going. <laughs> I can't sing, I can't sing. I, I, I wish I could sing, man. But, but I looked at the chart of that song and it has Pluto exactly, like not exactly, but it's like at a very closely or like or conjunction to the myth happen. I was like, that makes so much sense. Like a lot of songs that pop off like exponentially and get billions of views tend to have that Plutonian energy on the midheaven or like even in like the fifth or the seventh house. So uh, I thought that was really interesting. And I've also noticed that celebrities that also have Pluto in the 10th house or conjunct to the midheaven tend to have very, very extreme levels of fame. Like it's almost like it's almost uncanny sometimes. So that's super cool. That's very, very powerful and influential. Yeah, it's it definitely I feel it. You know, I feel the Plutonian influence on the midheaven, especially as it relates to that death and rebirth cycle. Yeah, I was somebody and, you know, I'm still in the grand scheme of things young. But when you're in your 20s, you know, there's so much pressure to feel like you are you know what you're going to do and you have your life you know, that you hit that like Forbes 30 under 30 list and you define yourself. And I, it it took me until the other side of my Saturn return to really feel like I'm on the right path, that I'm doing the right things. And it involved me having to sort of tear down the infrastructure that I had created in order for me to honor my truth and that midheaven invitation for it to, you know, not necessarily just be career, but be legacy. But I needed, and I'm sure over my life, I will continue to experience that transformation at that point. Yeah, absolutely. And would you say that like after like your sad return, like that area of your life started to become more empowering for you? Like, did you start to really like take on that power and feel more comfortable sitting in that? Well, I think that I, once I sort of surrendered to the, you know, the the Pluto issues, generally speaking, and this is like Scorpio moon issues, eighth house issues, all of that sort of within this archetype is the control aspect. I would say that that's probably like the biggest Achilles heel Mm-hmm. to the Scorpio, to the eighth house, to the Pluto is surrendering and to recognizing where we can apply control and where we can't apply control. And for me, like truth telling became the antidote instead of me trying to push against what was actually happening and or deny it or to ignore it or to like sweep it under the rug instead of just being like, let's just dump it out all on the table Let's look at what's going on. Let's look at how broke I am. Let's look at how, you know, these addictions are surfacing or whatever it is. That became the power 
was, you know, instead of feeling like I needed to control for it, recognizing when I was out of control and then allowing that to sort of guide the direction, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And I'm glad that you got to that place and got rid of things that were no longer serving you and have become a more uh, powerful version of yourself because of that. And I know that's not easy, you know, because, you know, Plutonian energy is, uh, it's always, it's very extreme, you know, it forces us to like deal with our, with our shadow side. And sometimes that could be a little challenging and intimidating to navigate. But once we do that, and once we face ourselves and, you know, detach ourselves from things and, you know, unhealthy habits, Pluto tends to kind of give us like a reward after, and you know, it helps us to, you know, see a different perspective on things. So it's definitely a double-edged sword placement. Um, so there are some other planets in, in, in a birth chart that are def- definitely have that double-edged sword type of, you know, energy. But, you know, I always like to say, especially, you know, having Scorpio energy that, you know, Scorpionic and Plutonian energy can still be very beautiful. And I, you know, I always tell my clients, I'd never be afraid of Pluto energy. You know, it's something that you're going to have to deal with at some point in your life. And, you know, once you deal with it and face it, uh, you'll get to the other side and be at a better place in your life. So I'm glad that you've gotten there and, uh, you know, you utilize that energy in your chart to, you know, get to a better place. So I'm really happy for you. Well, you know, it's it's amazing because whenever I have an astrologer on this podcast, it's just such a treat because we just dive right in. But I want to just back up a little bit and introduce our listeners to you um, and how you got started working with astrology, how you developed and continue to develop this incredible, really like library of information that you're sharing on your Twitter. You know, tell us your uh, entire life story. No big deal. (laughs) (laughs) Totally, totally. So I got involved with, you know, astrology and more occult like topics about four years ago. And it happened quite organically. So initially, um, I found myself immersed in the world of tarot. And that actually happened uh, through my YouTube algorithm. So shout out to YouTube for that. Wow. Yeah. So I started getting like recommended like tarot videos. um, And I would like watch them and, you know, intuitively pick a card. I used to watch like a lot of those videos and, you know, just kind of dive deeper into that and get messages and clarity about things that I was experiencing in my life. And then as time went on, I started getting astrology videos put on my algorithm and my recommended page. And so I started watching uh, more astrology videos. And that's when I was introduced to my birth chart. When I, when I tell you, I was so excited to learn more about it. I can't even put it into words. I was so amazed at the fact that at that time, I didn't realize that we had like more than one sign. And when I was introduced to my birth chart, like my mind, like just like literally exploded with joy. Cause I was just like, this is so interesting. And so I started uh, meticulously studying my own chart as time went on. And I started like pinpointing certain things. For example, like I have a sixth house sun, which shows, which is a very big indication as to why I love to work so much and why I find pride in that. Um, and it also shows me like as to why uh, I even like work in this industry and like, and why I've always like worked in service based industries, you know, because the sixth house does rule over being of service to people and, and things like that. And, and it can even represent healing and doing things that help to like heal people. So that really resonated with me. And I also just like looked at other things in my chart that really started to like resonate with my own personal life experiences that I've had in the past. And after that, I started doing birth chart readings for my friends and like looking at their charts. And then I started doing it for like my parents. And then as time went on, I just started reading astrology books and watching more astrologers on YouTube and like studying what they were mentioning and like reading more of like their books that they would, you know, release and everything like that. Um, there's one astrologer, he's a Vedic astrologer, so brilliant. Um, his YouTube name is 
KRS Astrology. He is brilliant. He's one of the first astrologers that I ever watched on YouTube. In some cases, like in some in some ways, like um, initially from like a Vedic perspective, but then I, you know, kind of like migrated and, you know, got more into like modern, like modern astrology. But I respect him. I love his work. I love Vedic astrology and I'm still actively like learning about it. But that's essentially how I got started. It was just literally just through social media and like being like incessantly interested and like incessantly studying the craft. And I think also a really good way to get more into astrology is to pull up event charts for things. Like if something happens, like literally pull up a chart and like analyze it. But I mean, that's definitely something you could do later on uh, in the future, but that's essentially how I got started. And I'm really glad that I did. And I think it really ties in with like my North node being in the eighth house too, conjunct to Mars. It shows like why I'm just like so obsessed with it. So um, yeah, that's essentially how I got started. That's awesome. I love it. And it's so interesting. I think that you might be the first astrologer on the show to have directly been sort of ushered into astrology through this wave of astrology on social media and the internet. I mean, to varying degrees. Like I would also say that, you know, when I started to work with astrology, I guess 10 years ago, I was of course sourcing the internet, but it was not the same way that it has been over the past 10 years. Like, I mean, it's blown up. So there are so many videos, there are so many resources, there are so many practitioners, there are so many different places that one could pull astrological or tarot or metaphysical information from. How did you start to discern like one, let's say YouTuber from the other in terms of the information? What were sort of like your meters of like, oh, I really like what this person is saying or like, "Eh, I'm not feeling so good about this? Honestly, it's just an intuitive feeling for me. There was just, there are just some people that I just energetically aligned with that just really stood out to me. And then on top of that, a lot of the things that, uh, you know, uh, certain astrologers mention about certain placements are just so incredible. And it, it just makes so much sense in the way that they tie, you know, certain theories in together. And I think, you know, there are certain astrologers that really thrive with that. And I th- that's essentially how I, I use my discernment. Um, but it's mainly like a more like energetic kind of spiritual discernment that I use. So, yeah. And and then you have this Twitter. And, mm-hmm. and the reason that I'm so obsessed with your Twitter is because one, I'm so obsessed with your Twitter, but two, because I love these two things that you do. And I'm sure that there are even more, but these two things that you do that I think are super cool are that you ask a lot of questions. You say, I'm going to make this up. Like, what is your Venus and what's your favorite pastry? Like, I could imagine you asking a question like that. And then you also share these very unique, very hyper-specific, if you have the moon at 16 degrees, you are someone who is going to receive a lot of X, Y, and Z or like, really esoteric asteroids. You know, I remember when you shared about the aura asteroid, how did that come to be? Because it is so delightful. And it's one of the reasons that following you is really just such a treat is because it feels like, you know, it, and knowing you're a Gemini now is like, of course, it's like these little <laughs> like sprinkles of information. It kind of reminds me of going to, I don't even know if they still have these, but like those vending machines where you, they had like toys in the little plastic containers and you put 25 cents in and then you'd see like what comes out and like, you'd hope that it was like something cool. And not one of those like stupid fake tattoos that <laughs> never stuck on you, <laughs> but it feels like that. Like there's that element of just sort of like 
delight and joy and pleasure of the, it had dopamine hit for real and just going on to your Twitter and seeing what you post. Oh, thank you so much. That, that was a wonderful analogy. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, astrologically, I have my Mercury also in Gemini um, in the fifth house. So uh, that really attributes us to why I love making really fun and lighthearted content. It's because, you know, the fifth house is a, it's the house of joy and happiness and creativity. So, uh, and then also, you know, uh, for the listeners uh, listening, uh, Mercury also rules over like your mind, your thoughts, your ideas, you know, the way that you communicate with people. So having my Mercury in the fifth house in Gemini really attributes us to why I just love making like random and fun content for people. But honestly, the way that I come up with content is just through inspiration. So um, I'm the kind of person where like, I love to look at the astrology of things that I've watched in the past, the astrology of things that people talk about, even like the astrology of like our own personal life experiences or the things that we watch online. So the other day, I think this is maybe like a month and a half ago, maybe two months ago, I was, uh, you know, scrolling on TikTok and I kept seeing people like posting videos about Waffle House and like how crazy it can be sometimes. And I was like, you know what? I want to check the astrology of Waffle House and see like why it's, you know, it is the way that it is. And I had a, a feeling that there was some type of like prominent Mars conjunction <laughs> aspect going on. And uh, Waffle House was actually opened during a Sun and Mars conjunction. Um, it also has an Aries moon on top of that as well. So I just like, I love, I like sharing those types of things. I like sharing like relatable and like, you know, things that we, that we experience on a day-to-day -day basis and integrating that with astrology. And I think it also ties into like my sixth house sun as well, because the sixth house does represent like your, you know, your daily and weekly routines. And I kind of like to integrate that as well. So uh, I think it's just a combination of just like my own silliness and my own, you know, obsession and like love for <laughs> astrology. Totally. I love um, that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's essentially how I do it. I'm a monster to watch anything with because the entire time I'm like such a Leo or I'm like, oh, I'm feeling a <laughs> cancer Mars. Like, and it's, you know, for people who get it, it's a shared passion. And then for other people, they're like, shut the fuck up, Elisa. Like, just let me watch this damn movie without you doing an astrological <laughs> hypothesis on every single character. <laughs> but right now I'm like really in the weeds on Kirby and enthusiasm. I've never like committed to it as a show, but I'm like committed. I'm in it. Like I'm going through the seasons and the characters have just such strong astrological archetypes. And yeah. I'm like, <laughs> like I have to like sit on my hands to like, not be like, I knew that Susie was a Leo, you know, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's what it is. And help yourself. It, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I really relate. And I, it, it's so smart to then create a Twitter and a creative platform to be able to share those things because sometimes we could feel like nobody cares. But the truth is, is that other people do those things too. And creating community around that, that joy and that passion and that sort of, you know, this hobby and interest I think is just fabulous. Oh, thank you. And I'm, you know, I'm really happy and glad that people enjoy, you know, the things that I talk about, even if they're like kind of funny or silly sometimes. Like two days ago, I did the astrology of Flappy Bird because some people were talking about it. And I love that game. Like, I don't know. I just, I love integrating astrology with random things. And I think that makes it 
all the more fun. But I, I totally get what you mean. Like when I'm when I'm watching shows, I'm all like in the background just thinking, okay, like, you know, like I wonder I wonder why I wonder when this show started. Like I wonder like what chart like placement it has in its chart. Like that's what I was thinking with Euphoria. And then I did the astrology of Euphoria and posted it on my Twitter page. So So what what is the astrology? Do you remember what it was? Um I do remember that Euphoria has a lot of eighth house energy, which is why people are so obsessed with it. I do remember though that it does have like a North Node and Mars conjunction in the eighth house. That's a good one to look at. I would also be curious about what Venus is doing with like such heavy aesthetics. Yeah. Okay. So Euphoria has its North Node in Cancer at the 18th degree of Virgo, um, conjunct to uh, Mercury in Cancer and Mars in Cancer as well at the 20th degree of Scorpio. So that also attributes to this obsession that everyone has with it. And it also has its vertex in the eighth house. So it was like literally destined to become very powerful and influential. Um, for anyone who's listening, uh, the vertex in astrology does represent like faded occurrences and things that are almost destined to happen in some ways. So uh, having all that eighth house energy really attributes us to like why people are just so enamored with it. Uh, and then Venus is also um, in the sign of Gemini at the ninth degree of Sagittarius. So that's why we have like really fun and explorative outfits and aesthetics that, you know, the characters wear. And there's like a, a really nice wide variety of it. And it's also conjunct to the lot of fortune too. So um, I think that also attributes us to why Euphoria is so popular because it's, you know, through fashion and, you know, the more explorative they are, with you know the characters fashion the more popular the show gets yeah super cool i i, I think euphoria's chart is awesome also lastly euphoria has a moon and jupiter conjunction Ooh. and jupiter is in its own sign of sagittarius which is really cool oh wow so that was in 2019 yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. june 16 <laughs> 2019 um, at 7 p.m so if anyone wants to check out euphoria's chart definitely give it a go. (laughs) And now we have it. Jupiter is back in one of its traditional domiciles. Yeah. All over again. Yeah. The influence of Jupiter on the show seems significant. Oh yeah, definitely. And you know, Jupiter is also in the first house there. It's getting directional strength, which is beautiful. So it's a very powerful chart. It really is. I mean, Jupiter is retrograde in the chart, but I think I also attributes as to why euphoria is such a, like, it's a show with so many, like, important lessons that people reflect back on, you know, that, that retrograde energy really shows itself, especially, you know, being conjunct to the ascendant as well. I think that's one, one of the reasons why, like when people are finished watching an episode, they're like, Hmm, like that was really interesting. Like it's a show where so much, so much happens. Like you kind of have to sit back and reflect and be like, wow, like, okay, like that happened you know, how, what did I learn from that? How does that apply to my own life? Like, and that's why a lot of people, I've no, I'm pretty sure you've noticed a lot of people do a lot of analysis like on Euphoria. They do a lot of think pieces on it because mm-hmm. there's so much that goes on in the show and it's so raw. It's it's very relatable for a lot of people. And I think because of that, that Jupiter retrograde energy like really has encouraged people to just to just like reflect on it. Even like Zendaya, like when after certain episodes, like she posts things about the characters and like the, the characters like on a certain episode and you know how she wanted to you know portray that character or she gives people advice and teaching lessons like you know on Instagram after a certain like really heavy episode. So that's really prominent to me. So maybe they have an astrologer on their team because this chart is very powerful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. That's really interesting. And I think that the eighth house stuff of like also, you know, the show having a lot of upsetting, triggering, yeah. heavy, mature, adult, you know, but also just like real life 
the topics of addiction and sexuality and mm-hmm. power struggles and all of these things is really, you know, these are the stories baked into the eighth house. Absolutely. And when we can handle it and approach it from a mature, you know, responsible perspective, that's, I guess, going full circle. Like that's also the Plutonian energy coming through in this other capacity. Absolutely. And even speaking about Pluto, like the show has Pluto in the second house, which is why people are so obsessed with like talking about it because second house can rule over your speech and how you speak and everything. So I definitely do like that a lot. And I think that euphoria is going to have a very long lasting legacy. And I think that, you know, as you know, time goes on, people are still going to be talking about it because it just has all that eighth house energy. You know, people are so enamored and obsessed with it that I think it's going to play a very big role in entertainment and, you know, TV show culture for sure. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so let's move over to some of these questions from our listeners. So this is a brand new format for Stars Like Us. I just started a a Stars Like Us Instagram, which is starslikeus.pod. And each time I have a guest, I'm going to post with the expertise of that guest without revealing the identity and (laughs) ask people to uh, submit some questions that they would like us to explore together. So I have a few listener submitted questions here, and I would love to start off with this one, especially since this sort of lends itself to our what we've been talking about here. I have Venus very closely squared to the nodes. I've heard that this is called at bending of the nodes or just at bendings. What does this mean? Well, overall, like having your Venus spring your north node in the context of things, I actually kind of like that in some ways. It still has its benefits. You know, every planet or aspect in the chart still has its benefits. So on the bright side of things, whenever the Venus is squaring the nodes or even aspecting the nodes in general, it tends to provide you with a lot of money, which is really nice. But on the other hand, though, I would have to say that it's really important that you be cognizant of the types of partners that you surround yourself with, whether that's even like with your friends, like even like, especially with with like your romantic partners, because having that square aspect with the North node can indicate that you could possibly run into someone that tries to take you off of your path that you're focusing on. So always remember that despite, you know, the love that you have for people, that you're still your own individual and that you still are your own person and always keep sight of your goals and your dreams and your ambition. So just kind of keep sight of that. But that's essentially what it essentially means in the grand scheme of having like your Venus squaring uh, your North node, looking at that. I love that. Yes. And I would also add that the shape that's ultimately being created here is a T-square because mm-hmm. we have the opposition between the nodes and then we have a square from Venus on either side of that. So I would be really curious for that individual to also take a look at what the opposite of Venus is, even if there isn't a planet at that point, that that is the release point for the T-square. So that's going to create that cardinal power, that machine that can sort of generate and manifest and create possibilities and opportunities for itself. So being extra sensitive to whatever that opposite placement of that Venus is, is going to give a lot of wisdom and insight as to how that 
that T-square transforms into a square and how it resolves itself. Absolutely. And um, you can even like the person can even take like take that one step further and find where like the ruler of that house is to even get a deeper look and insight into that as well. One thing I also really advocate for personally is looking at the persona charts of, of like the planets in your chart as well. So you can get a, get a deeper look into how the energy of Venus in your chart, you know, is expressing itself on a more in-depth level. So you can kind of navigate and, you know, overcome the, some of the challenges that could come with with that configuration but you know nevertheless though i always say that like squares and oppositions are important to have in charts and i know they seem a little bit scary but there are points in our chart that show us like where we need to develop our character and where we need to improve you know you, you most people don't tend to grow without challenge or adversity and those are squares and oppositions in our chart and you know the more that you overcome your challenges the the stronger and more powerful you become so yeah I love it. So speaking of things that are difficult or challenging, is having Saturn and Pluto and Scorpio in the 12th house really as bad as it sounds slash feels? No, it's not. Like, don't get me wrong. I understand the nature of the 12th house and I understand that it can represent losses and it can represent challenges and subconscious you know, struggles and, and, you know, it can represent like emotional uh, distress at times, but at the same time, the 12th house also rules over like our spiritual growth and our spiritual development. And the one thing I love about Saturn in the 12th house for, for starters is that it does get its planetary joy in the 12th house, which is really beautiful. So Saturn can, you know, grow and feel, you know, about like gradually feel, you know, better and provide you with more opportunities as time goes on. But not only that, um, Saturn and Pluto in the 12th house can really help you to develop your spiritual abilities and your intuition as time goes on. So, you know, when this person reaches like, you know, their like late 30s, early 40s, they're going to find themselves being a very, very powerful spiritual being. And you're going to notice that it becomes easier to manifest things. You're going to, you know, find it easier to, you know, set boundaries between people and not let people overstep them as well. Like it's definitely a double-edged sword placement as we were kind of talking about earlier, but it, it can provide you with benefits for sure. And on top of that, the 12th house uh, also can rule over like manifestation as well. So the one thing I love about Pluto in the 12th house is that it can help you to manifest things that can change and transform your life. It might come before that comes though, you might have to like let go of something, you know, detach yourself away from something that's really been setting you back. But that Pluto in the the 12th house can really help you to, to attract opportunities into your life that can make your life better. So I wouldn't say it's a bad placement. There are no bad placements in a chart. It's just that every planet expresses itself differently and you're going to have to navigate it based off of that energy. So no, I wouldn't say it's bad. It definitely has its advantages. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this person is a subscriber to me, so I might have access to their chart. Cool. Yeah, I have it. I'm intrigued by what would be the conjunction between Saturn and Pluto, because that is that a close orb. That's exactly what I'm curious about as yeah. well, because mm -hmm. this would be the last time that Saturn and Pluto created a conjunction, which was in the early 80s, as opposed to 2020, when they obviously made a conjunction again and decided yeah. to make a pandemic. I mean, they're 12 degrees separated. Okay. So Pluto had just entered. It's at zero degrees Scorpio and Saturn is at 12 degrees Scorpio in this individual's chart. And they both are in the 12th house. This is a separation from the Saturn and Pluto conjunction. So there's also um, a generational component to this. And to me, the 12th house always speaks to 
ancestry as well. Mm -hmm. Um, It speaks to our lineage. It speaks to things that were happening before we, you know, arrived. So this kind of also, to me, sort of more than it is something personal for that individual, it's kind of like the backdrop of their life and what was going on with their parents, what was going on in their family, what was going on on a societal level when this person arrived on the planet. Absolutely. And that really does speak as to how, you know, powerful that person is. I feel like a Saturn, you know, that I, I know it's like kind of, they are 12 degrees separated, but the one thing I would have to say though, is that that really does attribute us to this person having the power to overcome generational karma or family karma yes, in many ways. And I know that's not easy. It's not easy being the black sheep of the family. It's not easy, but that's the thing though. That's what Saturn and Pluto bring to us. It brings us these challenges that we have to face so that we can change our generation for the better. So I wouldn't be surprised if this person has been presented with tough decisions and decisions that they had to make, but I'm pretty sure that this person has overcome some of those challenges that has come with that place and has changed their family lineage for the better. And even like, you know, I'm not sure what their, what their fourth house is looking like, but maybe, you know, if they, if this person has children, like maybe they teach and parent their children a different way, or they just do things differently and in a healthier and transformative way, as opposed to, you know, how they were raised or, or brought up. So it's definitely a very transformative placement for sure. So I guess to come full circle on our Saturn and Pluto story here, I mean, I guess with anything that is considered challenging in the chart, which, you know, I've had to personally really reconcile since my chart is a traditionally extremely challenging chart, you know, between having a Saturn ruled chart and then having all of these placements in the eighth. I have, I was born in 1989. So I have Uranus, uh, Neptune and Saturn all in a cluster together. And those are all in my 12th house, Pluto on the midheaven, moon in Pisces, making an opposition to all of my eighth house stuff. You know, when I was reading about my chart in the first few years, it was just one nightmare after another. It was like one, like, here's your worst case scenario situation. (laughs) like followed by the next, like something horrific and nefarious that you would never want to happen. But yet the choice to only interpret challenging placements or aspects as negative is still a choice. You know what I mean? There's still a whole other dimension to something, whether it be a square, um, like we talked about in this earlier submission or Pluto and Saturn in the 12th, like our choice to only interpret it through a worst case scenario lens is still the choice. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that that even like ties back into like other placements that could be deemed as challenging. Like, for example, um, Saturn retrograde, for example, Saturn retrograde is something that people kind of get a little bit worried about. But it's like when you think about it, in essence, Saturn, when it's direct, it represents tension and delays and, you know, and challenges of things. But when it, ret- when it goes retrograde, it, it kind of mitigates and kind of reverses and it kind of lessens that harshness there. So don't get me wrong. I understand that Saturn retrograde still has its challenges, but it also still has its beauty too. And uh, I think it's really important that people still see the beauty that can come in, you know, uh, a planet that could be, you know, retrograde or even like in its fall or in its detriment. Like I'll give you an example. So uh, I was studying Zendaya's chart and I noticed that she has Jupiter and Capricorn. So 
when people hear that, they're like, oh, so Jupiter is like in the fall in Capricorn. That's not good, right? And it's also retrograde, right? But look at her growth. Look at how much she's accomplished in her life, you know? Having like a, a, a fallen Jupiter and also being retrograde so would be something that could pop off in someone's head and raise red alarms. But she is a perfect example of having a planet that doesn't necessarily feel the happiest, still trying and doing the best that it, it, it can to elevate her and help her to reach new heights in her life. And I just think it's really important that everyone, you know, takes a look at their chart, looks at the more challenging, you know, placements and analyze it and look at the benefits that that placement still has, give, has given you still. Um, and I think it's, you know, important that as a community, we continue to dismantle fear mongering, especially when it comes to certain placements and, you know, aspects in a chart, because everything still has its benefits. And I also just try to make that very clear on my uh, my Twitter page as well. Like I never want people to feel scared about a placement or a transit or anything like that, you know? So yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's like if astrology is not being used to uplift, to empower, to inspire, then why are we using it? <laughs> you know, like Honestly, like if we're just using it to validate our anxiety and to affirm the worst possible outcome of a situation, then it's not really a productive tool. Exactly. Then it's a tool that just becomes, it's not going to offer any wisdom. The wisdom of astrology is being able to look at a situation from a perspective that wasn't otherwise available. Exactly. And I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I'm glad that you know, you, you resonate with that. And I, you know, know for a fact that despite the adversities and challenges that you've had in your life, like you've also accomplished so many amazing things for yourself. And, you know, your chart is an example of that. So I'm proud of you and I'm happy that, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I understand that, you know, some, some parts of your chart, um, could be, you know, deemed as challenging, but you've made the best of it and you've taken what you've been given and made something beautiful for yourself. Oh my goodness. You're so sweet. Thank you so much. Okay. We have one more uh, listener submission. And this question is, do you get your chart read by an astrologer who practices with a different house system than you do? You know, it's interesting. I have had readings done by other astrologers and they use Placidus, but I follow a couple of other astrologers on TikTok that use pro, the Profree system, which is pretty, pretty cool. Um, I also follow a couple of other astrologers that use whole sign houses. Personally, I use Placidus and whole sign, but more specifically, um, I, I use Placidus when I'm analyzing like certain placements in a chart. But when it comes to like looking at transits and like doing horoscopes or, you know, doing like certain uh, specific tweets, I'll look at whole sign houses just because it's a lot easier and more straightforward to analyze a certain transit. Because sometimes when you go to process and you try to do transits for different signs, like some people, some people might have a right, like a late degree rising sign. So their houses are different, or they could have an early degree rising sign. And like, you know, and again, their houses are different. So that's what I personally do. Uh, I think every house system is valid in its own respect and in its own way. But personally, for me, I, uh, I use Placidus and whole sign and, and when I would get birth chart readings done it, uh, from other astrologers, um, they would use Placidus. I think that, you know, it's sort of like if you're going to a hairdresser, like even if you know how to style your own hair, you're not going to roll up with your own supplies and your own scissors and your own like and your own like system of being like, you need to do it like this. You're entrusting that professional to use their tools within their expertise. So 
for me, it's like I, I use Placidus 90% of the time. I will use whole sign 10% for very specific things that you could only do with whole sign that wouldn't really apply to Placidus. But I would be happy to work and I would love to get a reading from someone who works on a, with a different tool set, but I would not want to impose my tools onto them. I would, I'm trusting that that astrologer is going to be using the best equipment that they have that resonates with their practice. So you, one can absolutely work with astrologers who have different types of approaches. I think that that's I, the more the merrier, frankly. Yeah, totally. And I love learning about different ways that people interpret charts and analyze charts. I think it's so brilliant. And I think that's the one thing I love about astrology is that there's so many different ways to interpret things and, and study it. And I think that's why it astrology, even as like an astrologer, I believe that, you know, immersing yourself in this world means that you're going to be a lifelong student, you know, because there's always just different ways to, you know, learn different things and study different things and interpret different things. And that's what I love so much much about astrology. So I agree. I, I think it's amazing that there's so many different house systems to use that's available to us, especially, um, you know, where we are right now in, 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 in the spectrum of the world and everything. So, yeah. Yeah, totally. Okay. So now a few questions for you that I ask every guest on the show. The first is how does magic show up in your life? So magic shows up in my life through my own clairvoyance. I've discovered that um, I'm clairvoyant in some ways, which is super cool. So that's essentially how magic shows up in my life. Like, for example, like I tend to just get visions of things, you know, before they happen, which is really cool. Um, so that's a way that uh, magic shows up in my life. Also, just kind of just to quickly go here, uh, magic also comes to me through my dreams. Like I've I remember this one time I had a dream where I received a phone call and the caller ID said 955 Lower Mall. And I vividly remember that. And I went to go search it up and it's an actual place in Vancouver in British Columbia. And I always wanted to go there. So wow, I, I kid you not, it's an actual place. And when I saw that, I, I literally was like freaking out. Like, so my magic shows up to me through my clairvoyance, through my dreams and my subconscious mind. <laughs> I love it. I'm beautiful. And really, I mean, we could have a whole podcast episode about that. That is phenomenal and fascinating. <laughs> Question number two is what do you believe in? Oh, I, I believe in astrology. I believe in people. I believe in people's dreams and ambitions and goals. And I encourage people to, to follow what what their, what their heart is telling them to do. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So now if you're comfortable with it, I would love to pull a tarot card. Yes. I'm excited. So the way that my deck works best is if we are working off of a question, um, if we do something ambiguous, sometimes it gives us this like muddled answer. And then we're like, what the fuck does that mean? So do you have a question that you would like to approach with a single card? Reed? Ooh, that's a good one. I would love to know if the person that I'm talking to right now is right for me. Maybe let's ask how they're right for you or okay. how, what we need to know about the person who you're talking to right now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let, let's do that. <laughs> okay, cool. Would you like me to work with pile one, pile two, or pile three? Hmm. Pile three. Okay, great. What do we need to know about the person you're talking to right now? Well, yeah, this one just popped out. So we have the seven of pentacles here. Okay. This says 
yes, in a way. I mean, this feels like an affirmative. This person is ultimately like you're working on preparing the harvest, but you're still in early stages of yep. that. You're still in the sort of like watch and wait. I'm planting, I'm tending to this. This is something that needs more, a little more water, a little more sunlight, a little bit more nurturing, but the potential for it is monumental and significant, but it is still, it is something that's absolutely going to require that sort of like dedication and that commitment in order for it to become something that matures and flourishes into uh, a beautiful flower. Oh, well, thank you for that. That that makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Cool. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. So where can we find you and continue to connect with you? Uh, and thank you. Um, yeah. You, so um, your listeners can find me on Twitter. So uh, my Twitter handle is at shoddy astrology. So that is S H A W T Y and then astrology. Uh, and then you can also find me on TikTok at shoddy herbs. So that's S H A W T Y and then herbs. And that's essentially where you, where you can find me. Thank you so much. This was so delightful. Thank you for having me on. And I'm so grateful to be here with you today. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.